Pound the Rock is brought to you by the Score Bet. That's right. We brought you the best sports media app, and now we're bringing you the best sports book. The Score Bet offers a safe and secure mobile sports book experience with both pregame and in-play markets. But best of all, it's integrated into the Score and our content to give you the easiest and most seamless sports betting experience. So take advantage of exciting promotions and odds boosts all season long. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey. Must be 21+. plus. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, contact 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit thescore.bet for more details. Welcome to Pound the Rock to Score's NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I am joined not by fellow co-host Joe Wolfon, who, of course, if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, you know uh, is off for the next like six or seven weeks, six or seven episodes on daddy duties. But I am joined remotely by Mason Ginsburg, whose work you can find at Bourbon Street Shots and uh, who co-hosts a podcast called the In the Know podcast. You can find it on Twitter at in the NO pod, it's a New Orleans based pod. Obviously, he hosts In the No podcast. It is part of the Blue Wire podcast network. And I am happy and excited that Mason is joining our podcast here on Pound the Rock. So let's get into it. Mason, we're here on this Sunday morning, and I, I'm especially grateful you joined us because I know, you know, after that just riveting dunk contest, no no NBA fan could get any sleep last night. So the fact that you were able to to join me this morning, it just I'm even more grateful. Happy to be here. Uh, not not like there's anything to talk about regarding the Pelicans or anything, but uh, but yeah, yeah. We'll, do, we'll do what we can here. Yeah, not not at all like the uh, the newest big acquisition uh, hasn't heard from the franchise player in weeks. But uh, yeah, let, let's start there because you know the Pelicans haven't, even though um, from a wins and losses perspective, they haven't let's say, been the most relevant team this season, they have not been far from the news cycle throughout the season. And most of that is because, obviously, of the, I don't want to call it a looming cloud, but it is somewhat of a looming cloud over them. This, you know, whatever Zion's status is as he recovers from that foot surgery. And the latest twist to that, um, you know, as you were kind of alluding to and uh, mentioning it's not like anything happened at All-Star Weekend is CJ McCollum who only played, what, five games with the Pels now, obviously it was the big deadline day acquisition or deadline week acquisition, saying on the NBA on TNT, I believe that he actually has not heard from Zion Williamson yet. Not a word from him. I believe he said he's spoken to some people around him, but that he hasn't heard from him. And then I love too that he added on at the end, you know, uh, he's going to get to the bottom. He wants to get to the bottom of what's going on. CJ's on the case, everybody in New Orleans. Don't fret, he's on it. Um, So Mason, obviously you're a lot, you know, kind of closer to the team and just, as a, as a New Orleans guy and, and all the work that you do are just much more kind of up with what's going on with this team and where they are and this, the way the season's gone. So, I mean, you talk to me as someone from, from a New Orleans perspective, how concerned are you? How concerned should Pelicans fans be that CJ McCollum has not heard from? Does it matter? Like it's yeah, it matters. First of all, um, I think it's, it's one of those things where in isolation, it's like, okay, he, he's a, he's a young kid. Maybe he doesn't really know how to be a good teammate be a leader. Um, but combined with all the other, I guess, passiveness from Zion over the last few months, really, it's it's a it's a con- 
concerning trend. It's tough to say whether or not it's by itself, it's that damning, but I think this is kind of the the strategy here. And so something I was alluding to after everyone started talking about the quote itself, but I, I can't help but wonder if this is calculated to a degree. And, and when I say that, I, I'm not talking about Griff going to CJ and saying, you should say this All-Star Weekend. Like, he's not doing that. And CJ is a player, the president of Player Association. His words carry weight. He's not, you know, he's not going to do Griff's bidding, you know. But at the same time, Zion's got to hear this from other people besides the Pelicans. Uh, and, and so I think having CJ say something like that, All-Star Weekend, like Zion, I haven't heard from Zion, um, it starts to apply public pressure. And that's something that I think might be, um, you know, he might might be viewed as something that can help the Pelicans' case because I can tell you the reactions that I saw were mostly well. You got jokes about oh Zion's leaving and all that. What's yeah. it's going to come? But you hear a lot saying, "Wow, Zion's out of line here. Zion should be like, how hard is it to reach out to CJ McCollum? You know, well respected around the league and dude who's also just dropped like forty points in the last few games for the for the Pelicans playing great basketball. Like where where is Zion? And and so. You know, that and coupling it with going to Portland and, um, you know, and working out there, just being away from the team. Again, every one of these things in isolation, you can deal with it, but it, it's become a trend. And I think, you know, it's it's concerning whether what the long term implications of that are, you know, TBD. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts here, especially as it relates to his injury status and his next contract, you know, but lots to think about. How much of, I guess, Zion's you know, passiveness or even something like this, or he's not, he's not reaching out to a new star. We'll call him. Okay. I know CJ hasn't made an all-star game, but in terms of acquisitions, like it's a star acquisition and he's playing like a star as a Pelican. How much of this do you think is like Zion, maybe just being a passive guy that not really, really being in his nature, even though he's the franchise guy to be the one who to reach out and how much of it is, do you think, I, I don't know, like some, concocted plan to like alienate himself and and like sow the seeds that eventually lead to him out of there like is that is that thinking way too far ahead or like do you think that's a possibility that this guy is kind of you know not necessarily burning things as he leaves but like yeah kind of creating an atmosphere where maybe it doesn't seem best he's there yeah I mean that, that's that's a very reasonable conclusion to to reach I mean I I think also I I don't want to downplay this the degree to which Zion might be self-conscious here. Um, he's whether it's he hasn't been with the team much, or obviously the weight stuff. There's a lot there that Zion's dealing with personally, and so maybe he doesn't feel like he's in he's in the right position. He's like, I'm not with the team. Why would I? Why would I welcome CJ? Which is the wrong mentality to have. But but you can't. I mean, depending on how he's thinking about things and the advice he's getting, you can't necessarily fault him. I think I think this has just been a very long and grinding process um, ever since kind of the, the first season and, and Zion's injury. I don't want to say there's there's not bad blood, but I think there's things can get off the right foot between Zion's camp and the Pelicans. Um, I'll say Zion's camp because it's, it's very unclear every step of the way, whether it's Zion or whether it's you know, Zion's people. Right. But, you know, I, I think that they thought Griff was a little overbearing to start, which I would agree based on what I've heard he was. Um, but also Zion's camp didn't seem to react to how the Pelicans handled his first injury, his rookie year, very well which doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, there was no reason to not. The Pelicans years ago had a lot of health issues, uh, medical staff issues, but they brought in Aaron Nelson from the Suns. They've had they've done a really, I think, really good job overall over the last few years and, and should have earned Zion's trust. And, you know, how they decided to bring him back, the, the Zion's camp didn't like that very much with the bursts and, and all, all this stuff, trying to make sure that you're managing a really unique athlete like Zion the right way. And things have, and, and it just hasn't seemed like there's been any sort of, 
bridges repaired there, but it, it doesn't seem like the Pelicans have done anything to to make things worse. But it feels like at this point, it's shifted from both sides could have done some things better at the start to now it's seeming more and more like, you know, Zion's just making this a difficult situation because his camp wants to make it a difficult situation. And so I, I don't think it's irreparable by any stretch. I mean, winning cures everything, right? right. I think trying to apply more th- like third-party pressure, public pressure to Zion to like, you know, be a teammate, be part of the team, even if you don't want to be there, um, you know, who knows? But you know, he's still a kid, but lots to think about. But I don't think anything's fundamentally broken yet, but it's... um you know, there's, there's things to fix. It would be ironic if, if, you know, if he is still upset, but hurt, whatever about the way he was handled in his rookie year, which as it shows is, was the right thing to do by the Pelicans and taking care of him as much as they could. It would be quite the story of like, while he's out nursing an injury, you know, because of, as you mentioned, this kind of very unique body type or the unique athlete that he is which is in and of itself proof that the Pelicans were doing the right thing by trying to take care of him in his rookie year. He was still mad about the fact that they were doing that. That would just be, I don't want to say like immature, but I think it would be very misguided on his part. You mentioned that there was maybe some talk that David Griffin was overbearing with Zion and or his people when he came in. Like, what did you mean by that? Was he just kind of like too much in his space or was, were there things that people in New Orleans like heard went on that maybe rubbed him the wrong way? I mean, a lot of a lot of stuff is kind of hearsay at this point. So we don't just uh, to kind of really go, go back that far to try to hear to talk about exactly what happened. But I think the the general theme was that Griff was trying to be attached to the hip to Zion and be just way way too present. And you know, you don't have to you don't have to do that with with. I mean, obviously Zion's super important to the franchise, but um, I, I think you know he learned and he, he's kind of he he changed how he worked with Zion. I think sometimes if you've got if you've got it in your head that you you want something that you want a situation to change, you're not going to be that willing to compromise, be that willing to accept apologies, things like that. And so, again, um, the, the really gets down to how much of this is, is Zion and, and how much of this is just what kind of direction is he being given? And, and you know what? I really love to like like you said, hear from him <laughs> on all this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of I think a lot of people would. What's like the. I guess the the pulse of the fan base right now when it comes to maybe not this team overall, but like when it comes to Zion, is there frustration within the fan base? Is there angst within the fan base of like, oh no, not another AD situation? Like, or is it just, are, are people still kind of like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel that, okay, we're going to get this guy back eventually, whether it's this season or a healthy full season next year. And then we'll be off and running with this kind of new look team and he'll be fine. Like what, from your perspective, what does it seem the pulse of the fan base is right now? So that's the big risk right now, I, I think, is is the alienating of the fan base. I mean, if you assume that there is a, a broader strategy here to try to get Zion to, to realize what's what's happening and, and, and ways he can be a better teammate and be more present, the risk is that the public seeing that too, and, and the Pelicans fans. And there there certainly is some frustration with Zion throughout the fan base. And so I think, like, like I said, winning cures everything, but... I had a couple of people uh, in last night on Twitter send me the, it was a quote from Zion two years ago that basically said, you know, if you love New Orleans, it'll love you back. And that's the truest thing I ever heard. That's what Drew Brees said. And it's just like, that's, that's it, man. That That's all it, it takes. I mean, just, just buy in. Even if you're going to ask for a trade at some point down the road, like the fact that he's kind of seems half in half out right now um, is certainly frustrating for fans. And like, um, I, I think you get back on the floor. You, I mean, I don't think it, it takes a ton of, repair work from a PR perspective to fix this. Um, but I'd say right now, the sentiment certainly is a little bit of frustration with him. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I, I think people are being generally 
um, understanding to the injury stuff and, and, you know, the weight stuff, it's more about just, you know, be, be a part of the Pelicans, you know, and, and, that, and that's what they're not feeling right now. The biggest shame would be, look, if, you know, if, like you said, if it's somewhere down the line, whenever that may be, he ends up asking out or ends up not a Pelican. It's one thing if, if he had showed the city the kind of love or showed the team the kind of love that, as you mentioned, Drew Brees says, if you show New Orleans, they'll show it back. But I think, yeah, the thing, even from an outsider's perspective was on, it's like, as great as he is, you're still on your rookie scale contract. You've missed more than half the games you've been available for. Like, you haven't really earned the right to, to be this kind of one foot in, one foot out guy. Like, you're not some seasoned veteran superstar who's put in his time and the team has failed you. Like, you you haven't even been there long enough to give it a chance to work. So I, I hope that he does. We're going to talk about a lot of other Pelicans-related things because, obviously, there's a lot more going on than just Zion-related things. But my last Zion-related question for you, and I know it's an impossible one to answer, but I want your thoughts on it. My usual co-host on the show, Joe Wolfon, he remains convinced, like, every time Zion comes up on the show, he remains convinced that there is no way now, especially given, you know, his injury history, that there is no way that if a max extension offer was presented to him, that he would ever be the first guy to turn it down and say, nope, I'm opting for that year of RFA to hit UFA status earlier. My questions for you is, do you agree with my co-host Joe Wolfon that that is the case? Zion would never decline the max extension right now because of his injury status. And my second question to you is, is there now hesitancy, do you believe, on the Pelicans part to offer him that extension? Second one's the million dollar, or I guess more than million dollar question yeah. right now. Um, I agree with your co-host. Given all the injuries that he's sustained over his first three years, I think it would be, if the Pelicans put a max offer on the table, I think it would be downright shocking right. for Zion not to take it. He could just, you've seen the path. Other players have laid out the path here. You take the money and then you try to force a trade. As much as I don't want that, um, you know, I don't want him to force a trade. As long as he's on the floor, productive, He's going to, if he asks for a trade, he's going to net you a King's ransom in return. And the marketability too applies yeah. here with Zion. There, there, are, there are a few players that get eyeballs and, and dollars the way Zion does when he's playing, when he's healthy. Um, and so I think that factors into the calculus here where there's a floor. Like even, unless he's like truly the, goes the Greg Odin route, then I think you have a floor of value for him that's based on both you know on-court uh, availability as well as off-the-floor marketability. As far as what the Pelicans are going to do, yeah, um, I, I think I think that they, being in the small market like they are, they don't have a lot of options here either. <laughs> I think there's like this this marriage is destined to to stick for a little while um, because again Zion's injury history and the Pelicans. I don't know if they can risk not doing that. Now, what I think you could see depending on how long this Zion's injuries continue. Um, I don't know if the plan is this summer to put that max contract on, on the table. Is there, um, do you look at Embiid's structure from his con from his extension and say, yeah, we'll give you max money, but you've got to be on the floor to get it. Um, which is a very you know general way of describing what they did. But I mean, you're, you're already seeing some risk with Michael Porter Jr. What happened, it's happening in Denver. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the Pelicans would are, are probably you know, heading down that path to still give him that extension. I I would be curious if they can get any sort of concessions from an injury protection perspective on that. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. 
And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, Mason, all the Zion talk out of the way. Let's talk about the Pelicans who have actually been on the floor. And we have to start with the newest Pelican, CJ McCollum, who in five games with New Orleans is averaging 28.4 points, six rebounds, 5.4 assists. He's shooting 51% from the field, 43% from deep. I don't really think the Pelicans can ask for much more from CJ. Unfortunately, they've also got one in four in those five games. Um, you know, to me, it, it seemed pretty obvious how he's addressed a lot of their needs. Joe Wolfon and myself spoke on deadline day about, you know, just how desperate this team specifically was for good, competent guard play. Like, there's a reason they were so much better with Devontae Graham on the floor, even though Devontae Graham has not been good for this team. And it's just because they need competent guard play so damn bad. So um, give us your take on it. What what have you seen from CJ and what ways is he helping this team? And, and where do you think it's going to go from here? I think he's been nothing short of incredible. Um, I, I think the Pelicans' struggles have been mostly lineup construction, uh, rotation related, um, because the guy who he replaced, I, th- I think most people thought he'd be replacing, put, put, essentially pushing Devontae to a six-man role, and then you replace Josh Hart, kind of forward, type, kind of hybrid forward type role with somebody else. But what happened was the Pelicans started, and then they went CJ and, and Devontae in the backcourt, and that's just it's not going to be sustainable from a defensive perspective Um, and and also rebounding really CJ has been fantastic. He's been, um, you know, I I think that the defense has been better than anticipated because you know, that you hear he's, you know, he's, he's not, he's not the, the strongest athlete. He's not, he's not, you know, that big. Um, So, and you know, he doesn't exactly have a defensive reputation, but he hasn't been just, you haven't had hemorrhaging points because of him on the floor. Um, I think he's been, the way he's able to create shots, get get to the lane, he's he's his drives per game are off the charts, like, like almost like 1.5 x at least what he was doing in in Portland, which is what this team needs because the way they're constructed, there's no true point guard. Obviously, I mean they, that was their priority A in the offseason, looking at Kyle Lowry, right. um, not you know not be able to to, to get him, but I, really that that is it, he's filling us just a ton of needs for them on the offensive end. Um, there's going to be some growing pains. Obviously Ingram hasn't played. Ingram's had one really good game. The Raptors win was phenomenal. Um, but it, it's, there's, they got to learn to play together. It's, you saw similar things when, when Boogie joined the Pelicans with and, and him and AD and, and Drew, Drew was not good for a while. He was like, what do I fit into all this? Right. Um, and so you got to expect that when you add a guy like CJ mid season. Um, but, uh, I think they're starting to figure things out and, and I think the all-star break is well-timed. You mentioned something about rebounding as well. Yeah, I mean, Josh Hart's one of the best rebounding guard wings in the league, um, and and he really he he adds a ton. He added a ton to the Pelicans. He he enabled them to kind of play with lineups where uh, it was Devonte, Herb Jones, uh, Ingram, him, and then Jonas with no real four, so to speak. But they had enough rebounding from other positions to get it done. And now you know, especially with the lineups with Devonte and CJ, you just have such a lack of of defensive rebounding. You could see it. Um, and, and so I think, it, again, it's more about getting the, the right lineups together around CJ um, that'll, that'll help to fix things. <laughs> Honestly, the, the, I think, while, again, while Zion's out, the perfect four for this team now is Larry Nance. <laughs> yes. and, Larry, and Larry Nance is, is obviously hurt as well. And so sooner he can get back, the better, because I really feel like he, 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 he plugs a lot of the holes uh, for the Pelicans right now on defensive rebound. He's kind of, the, he's kind of like Josh Hart in a way. Um, and so I, I, you know looking forward to getting him back. But until then, Willie Green's got to piece together different ways to, to, to keep the team afloat on, on the defensive end. Yeah, Nance, I believe, underwent the arthroscopic knee surgery on February 10th, and they said it would be a six-week timeline. So you're looking at somewhere in like the last week of March, probably. So 
Pels will have him for like the last three weeks of the season and, and the stretch run going, you know, into the play-in. And if, I mean, I don't know how much they can expect from him right away coming off arthroscopic knee surgery, but yeah, to your point, I mean, he does, he does fit this roster perfectly and like plugs a lot of the holes they need, especially on the defensive end. So it would be a great story if he kind of just like comes into the lineup and just like sets everything into its place rotation wise and all that. Um, I, one thing I think is interesting with CJ is that even though I mentioned the Pelicans are one in four in the five games he's played, they have a positive net rating when he's on the court. You know, it's not like he's just got a positive on off net rating. He's got a positive on court net rating. The Pelicans are winning the minutes with CJ McCollum on the floor which is pretty impressive when you consider, again, they're one in four in those games. And then I went and looked at um, anyone who's played a minute for the Pelicans this season who also has uh, been on the court for winning minutes, and it's CJ and Tony Snell, and then Brandon Ingram, Herbert Jones, and Jose Alvarado. So again, goes to show you that CJ is contributing positively even though the team is losing with him in the lineup. I I don't think it's anything uh, on CJ's part. The Graham stuff I talked about where like they were better with him on the court, even though he has not played well. He's shooting 40% from two-point range on the season, 34% from three. But have, what have you seen in Devontae Graham this season? And like, what are, I guess, the saving graces of like, what what are the silver linings that you can find here? Because his play has been pretty bad, mm-hmm. but at the same yeah. time, it's felt like the Pelicans have needed it. Yeah, so I, I think there's a bit of recency bias uh, uh, happening here because I, I think Graham had a good first couple of months, like not great, but good first couple of months of the season. His February has been horrible. And so I think the, the degree to which his February has been horrible is really sinking his overall numbers. And, and his he's been not good two point uh, as a two-point shooter all, all season. Um, I think he's done an okay job of getting to the rim. But anytime he's shooting between the rim and three-point range, I'm just, you know, like, don't do that. <laughs> it's usually a bad outcome. Um, and so I, I think, you know, obviously he struggled recently. I think – but his first game off, coming off the bench, uh, they moved to the bench against Dallas, and, and he, he had a good game. Uh, he had the best, best game he's had in a while. I really think that uh, slot for him will work when and you know, as the rotations get more defined. Um, but – uh, I, I think especially right right after the CJ trade, he's kind of felt like, well, how do I fit into this? What 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 should I be doing? And so he's still like teams care when he spots up from three. Uh, you know, he's 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 demonstrated over his career so far the ability to knock those shots down. And it, it kind of seems like the more difficult the shot is, the higher chance it has to go in with him. Um, so I mean, I mean, there was that three quarter court shot that was totally nuts that won in the game um, <laughs> you know, against the Thunder, which one of the craziest endings of the season yeah. where where uh, Gilgis Alexander hit that three and then <laughs> Devontae came down and hit a three right back. And the three um, shy, Shea hit was was nuts in its own right. Yeah. I'm not overly concerned with Devontae right now. Um, I, I think, um, you know, I think well, I, I want to see how he how he fits into the, the lineup as a six-man type role. Um, I'd love to see what uh, we may get to. I'd love to see him and Jose play together in yeah. the second unit. I, I think that I think that fit, that pairing, again, undersized, but against second units, don't really care. Um, I, I think that that works a lot. Uh, it could work a lot better. Yeah. Talk about silver linings. I mean, Jose Alvarado's season uh, has been a silver lining in, in this Pelican season. The big conundrum when it comes to the, the lineup, the rotation, and the one that no one seems to understand the logic behind, apparently including the man himself who's setting the lineup, is the Garrett Temple situation. So Garrett <laughs> Temple, for anyone who has not been watching the Pelicans this season, has been god-awful. And... All due respect to Garrett Temple, you know, he's supposed to be a good vet. So I'm sure there is like a um, currency 
that we can't measure when it comes to having him in the locker room and around this young team. I completely understand that. I don't think that has to mean he's on the court as often as he is or on the court at all, if we're being honest, given the way he's played this season. And yet he's seventh on this team in minutes and hasn't really lost his rotation spot yet. And uh, after the last loss to Dallas, Willie Green was asked about it. And when asked about essentially um, like why... Temple has remained in the rotation or, or why it's been tough to get him out of the rotation. Green basically said, I don't know. And then kind of went on a little more eloquently about the rotation and stuff. But Garrett Temple's on off net rating is minus 18.2 points per 100 possessions. And this isn't that, like, that's not a fluke. Okay. That's not one of those things where you'd be like, Oh, but he's playing so much better than that. And he's gotten unlucky with his like lineup combos. Like, no, he has very much earned that minus 18.2 points per 100 possessions on off net rating. So Mason, from your perspective, like what the hell's going on there? Why is Garrett Temple still playing at all, let alone still one of their like top seven guys rotation wise? It's a it's it's hard to say, and it's weird because I feel like he hasn't consistently been top seven, but he started some games when guys were out, and then other games he's kind of like the eighth or ninth guy, but still like it, it comes out to what you said. It's seventh most minutes. My most enjoyable conclusion is does Willie Green see some of himself in in Garrett Temple? <laughs> um, but I, he so you know he's he's a vet, and, and to his credit. Multiple players in the Pelicans have gone out of the way to mention him as guys who have helped them this season. Like Herb Jones is one of them. Um, and so, you know, there's hard to say exactly what what Willie sees in him, but maybe the all-star break in, is pushing him to think about some things differently because, yeah, Garrett Temple, if he's not making his corner threes, he's not. He's just not adding anything. I, he really isn't. And, um, you know, he... He's 35 years old, and the players at his age who are getting as many minutes as him, I looked at this the other day, they're like multi-time All-Stars or like those glue guys who just won't go away, like P.J. Tucker or Jeff Green. And then and, and uh, Garrett Temple does not sit on that level. He just doesn't. And and so, you know, I, I, it's it's been frustrating because it feels like as soon as you replace him with anyone – the, the, you, you can look that the data is very clear that the lineups get way better, uh, that the performance gets way better. And so, you know, the fact that the that Jose Alvarado got a DNP last game and Willie Green played like 20 minutes that the fan base is like collectively losing their minds about this. Um, yeah, I don't blame so, you know, yeah. And so you hopefully you see out of the break. I mean, <laughs> maybe you slowly get transition Garrett Temple a little more of like an assistant coach type role and take him out of the rotation. But, um, you know, I think there are guys who, who who've earned the right to, to play a little bit more. Snell is one of them. You mentioned he's been, a surprise, you know, be able to impact the games in more way than just making threes. Um, he's been a nice fit, uh, the best fit possible defensively. He closed the game against the Mavs last night, our, our last game, and did a pretty good job. Um, so it's him. Trey Murphy is a guy that everyone wants to see hit the floor. He has not played much at all, which I'm, I would love it too. I think he, I'd rather see anyone than Temple at this point. I'm, I'm a little more patient when it comes to him. I just like, I don't see any reason why Jose Alvarado shouldn't be getting those Garrett Temple minutes, for example. I think Jose's actually earned them. And, you know, can't really can't really make an argument for Temple playing much more. Yeah, no, no, you can definitely not make that argument. How uh, how satisfied have you been with Brandon Ingram's season in the midst of kind of all this? You know, the the losing, I guess, drama on the court, but you know, with some of the off court drama around the Pelicans and the Zion stuff, Brandon's just kind of gone about his job and continued to get better. So, how satisfied have you been with with the way he's played on the whole? Yeah, I mean, he's been an all star in my mind. Um, offensively, he's facilitating more, he's playmaking more, his assists are up. Um, you saw flashes of this in the past season or two, but nothing as consistent as you've seen now. Um, you know, the, the last few games adjusting to the CJ edition, notwithstanding. Um, but I think the biggest surprise has been how he's been able to buy in and, and start playing better defensively. Um, I, I think he's he's learning 
the Pelicans are getting through to him uh, on how to use his length to disrupt or like how, how to be, how to be a, a factor on that end when maybe the, the raw defensive ability isn't there, but he's got the athleticism. He's got the length. He's seeing the game quicker, I think on both ends. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really showing. And so I think, because I think one of the things that hasn't been talked about enough is how much worse he's shooting from three this year. And despite that, he's still playing at this all-star level. And so I really feel like that's that's more of a, a blip and he's the three-point shooting will bounce back. Um, but I th- and then, but once you add that to his game, uh, you know, he's, he's going to get just – it's going to be even more, more, even more productive. I've loved what Ingram's done this season. And, uh, and I, I hope for his sake, you know, this team plays meaningful ball down the stretch, gets into the, the play-in at least, because I think his play and like his growth as a player deserves it um, based on everything else that's gone on there. We'll wrap it up with kind of where the Pelicans are and where they might go. They, they are 12th in the standings in the West, right? Well, they're tied for 11th with the Spurs. I think tiebreaker reasons that are listed as 12th. But they're two games back in the play-in race of the final play-in spot, which Portland holds in 10th with, you know, one to two teams to leap in 23 games. Now, if you look at the way the West plane is set up, the Pelicans should win this thing easily over the, like they should. They're fighting teams that are either tanking or are the Sacramento Kings. Like those are the only options here in this race. The Pelicans should win it. Portland looks good though, man. That's the thing, but then the Blazers start winning after making (laughs) the trades they've made, which they shouldn't be winning, but I think they've won four in a row and and they've won some pretty impressive games too in Milwaukee, in Memphis. So my first question to you is, how confident are you that the Pelicans get the job done as they should given the talent at their disposal now? I'm not. I mean... That that that's I, I think I'm less confident than than the masses. Um, I think that I I th- I agree with the premise that the Pelicans are the best team of all the all the teams vying for tenth right now. That said, I've seen this I've seen this happen before with Boogie. The Pelicans got him. The team immediately was way better on the, with in talent, but it was really hard to make him fit. I think that it's going to be easier with CJ. You've already seen the offense is is. Despite Brandon Ingram struggles and try to recently to try to fit, the offense is killing it. Like they're 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 playing really well. They've got to figure out the defense though, and they got to figure it out fast. And and if they if they get the line, if they figure out the right, right rotation, I think they should be the favorite to get the tenth seed. I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Like some people might say, just looking at the teams they're competing with. Um, and, and so I think they they got to be watching their backs and 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 and, and in front of them too because they're not in tenth right now. Despite how I started this, I still think if I had to bet on one team getting the tenth seed. It's New Orleans, but it's hard. It's far from a sure thing. Like there, there is a, they got they got a lot of work to do to kind of adjust how they play to fit with CJ on, on both ends of the floor. And so, um, you know, Willie Green's got to work it out for him. I think, despite the Garrett Temple stuff, he's had a great year. Willie Green is, and we haven't talked about him, but he's he's been a really strong coach for this team. All the players love him as a rookie head coach. I don't think you know rotation concerns aside. And he's he's a young he's a former player, young coach who wants to please everyone, right? Like yeah. that's kind of that's his nature. And so I think I have no concerns with him not figuring out. I think we saw this with Monty Williams too when he was he early head coach in New Orleans. And he he was average at best, um, but he was a young coach. And look at what he's doing in Phoenix right now. He's figuring it out. He's been fantastic. He should have won Coach of the Year last year. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think the Pelicans have you know are positioned well to make the play in, but they've got some things to figure out first. Last question um, before we let you go, because this is not made up, people. Mason Ginsburg, who is our guest from New Orleans, is after he gets out of here, is going to a Mardi Gras event. That is not uh, that is not just me throwing in a stereotypical New Orleans thing. That's where Mason's going after this. But last question before we let him go and, and have that fun is, okay, based on everything you said about Willie Green, and I agree, 
I don't think there's any way he even should be considered to like not be here next year. Like I think they've found a coach, at least for now, that seems like he is the right fit right now that yes, he can get better yeah. at things, but you know, none of this season's disappointment to me other than the rotation stuff is like on Willie Green. But if you go one step above that or a couple steps above that, David Griffin, who look, we like, he's been on the show before, friend of the show, uh, David Griffin. I've talked to him for other stories I've written. I'm, but if, if we're evaluating him on the job he's done, um, obviously it's been impacted by Zion being out, which you can't control. But he's been there a few years now, and I, you know, I don't think we can really say that the franchise has progressed the way people thought it would with Griffin in charge, and especially once they landed Zion. Do you think Griffin's job is at all in peril, in jeopardy right now, based on the way this season has gone and the way things have gone in general for him in New Orleans? Or do you think like he's safe for at least another year with the hope that let's see what this team he's built looks like when Zion's on the court? Really good question. I think Griff's had a nice last few months. I think his start with the Pelicans is rough. I still think overall he's probably had more missteps than successes. But I do think, you know, from whatever you want to call his pur- pursuit of Kyle Lowry and, and, and the offseason that he had, um, I think since that point from the start of the season to now, he's he's had, had a, a few nice moves. The Herb Jones pick, just phenomenal. What the, what he's been able to do um, as a second round pick and being a guy who's you know probably making an all rookie team and, and is one of the best defenders in the league already. Um, and the CJ trade, I think, was was fine. Just or not fine. Was great. Yeah. Despite what maybe asset hoarding takes might suggest, but I don't want to say that Griff goes as Zion goes. Um, and I don't also don't think that Zion has the power to say it's either me or Griff, but at the same time, his success is inextricably tied to Zion Williamson's status. And I I think if Zion says, I'm taking the qualifying offer, I'm out of here. I think that would be really bad for David Griffin. That said, I don't think Zion's in a place where he can make demands right now, but it's a fascinating question um, because you can make good arguments either way right now. So yeah, I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out. It's kind of a non-answer, but it's, yeah. it's really, it's really, it's got layers to it, you know. No, I get it, and and look, if I agree with what you're saying, and, and I understand the um, why no one would really have a real answer there, and and the one thing I'd say about uh, what you said is that whether I'm David Griffin or anyone else, as much as I like Zion Wilson, as talented as the guy is, I would, I'd be kind of yanking my collar if uh, if anyone said that my success or future was tied to these, you know success and or presence of Zion Williamson that would make me you know and and his ability to play basketball that would make me a little uh nervous right now yeah like and if 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 you told me to like this this summer that David Griffin even traded Zion I don't I don't think this is on the table at all I like I said before like I think this is this is headed for an an extension because it's the best best of bad options on both not bad but the best option on both sides depending on what he was able to get for Zion Williamson that might not be the end of David Griffin it's more just like it if if this thing just explodes and and this is and the outcome is just objectively bad for New Orleans, like this is I think you know gris gris toast. But but um I think still this 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 marriage is destined to continue for a little bit longer and we'll we'll see where things go. All right, Mason. Uh, we will definitely see where things go and we appreciate you coming on uh, on this Sunday morning, like I said, to kind of help us break it down from someone that's closer to the team. So appreciate you. Thanks for coming on, Pound the Rock. Uh, before we let you go, quickly just let the people know uh, where. They can find your stuff as always. Sure. I'm not doing as much writing anymore, but um, part of a great Bourbon Street Shots team. Uh, we were formerly the ESPN True Network affiliate back in the day while well, that was still a thing. Right now, I'm, uh, my main my main thing is co-hosting In the Know, which is a Blue Wire uh, Pelicans podcast with, with Schmidt Dua. And, and so you can, you can check us out there anywhere you find podcasts. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming by.
All right, thank you again to Mason for joining us. And uh, thank you to all of you tuning in to listen to this. That brings me to this week's fan shout out or shout outs because I'm actually going to get a couple people in here. First one goes out to Riley Schlack, a Celtics fan from Crescent Valley, British Columbia, who reached out a few weeks ago. Uh, Riley said he started listening to the podcast when it was a three-man crew, so an old Will Lou shout out, and said he thought the show was so good that he went back to the first episode and started listening from there. Used to watch the old score television network as a kid, and when he heard the score was making podcasts, knew he had to start listening. Riley, appreciate you. Um being a devoted enough listener to go back and catch up on episodes you didn't hear from the beginning. Uh, appreciate you supporting the score from the beginning. Appreciate you supporting our work. Appreciate it all. Second quick shout out I want to get into this week goes out to Evan Kunkel, who I saw contributed a rare SoundCloud comment on the episode where we made our all-star picks um, when Wolfon left Harden off his all-star team. And I wanted to get this quick one in there for this week uh, for our first Wolf on Less episode because uh, I hope Wolf on uh, is listening to this and gets a chuckle out of it. But Evan Kunkel on SoundCloud to the All-Star Selections episode when Wolf on left Harden off his team left a comment that <laughs> simply stated, Wolf on was fucking tripping during this episode. My goodness. Evan, thanks for that feedback. I'm sure Wolf on will love it. We miss him, as it sounds like you probably do too. Uh, but Riley, Evan, thank you for listening and supporting the show. And the usual call out, people, if you're a fan of Pound the Rock, reach out via Twitter at Joseph Cacharo. Email joseph.cacharo at thescore.com. Instagram, hit me up, joe underscore 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 cash. And let me know how long you've been listening, uh, where you're listening from, what you think of the show, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Uh, and we will get you a shout out on a future episode. We do have some future shout outs banked already for the next few weeks, but we're always looking to hear from you and, and to bank, you know, shout outs for well into the future. So with that, I'll sign off for the week. I'll be back at some point with another guest later this week. Until then, for Mason Ginsburg, for an absent Joe Wolfon. I'm Joseph Cacharo, Pound the Rock.